Okay. Questions? Questions? So you can ask questions on this morning's message. You can ask questions on the book of Galatians in general if, if you want. You can ask, I guess, anything else. Kevin. Oh, yeah. The microphone coming. Can you expound upon a little bit uh, on the faith and love part and what that looks like, where that comes from? Okay, uh, let me read the verse that I think you're talking about. Well, there's two possibilities. Verse 6, uh, but only faith working through love. And then verse 13, but through love serve one another. Was either one or... Okay, yeah. Okay, so verse 6, uh, let me just read that again. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So he is first denying that it is uh, that works of the law count for anything. And then he is countering that with what does count is faith, and the faith works through love. So, uh, when we talk about faith, what we mean is uh, putting your trust in, putting your hope in, relying on, believing in something. So, um, oftentimes we think of faith or belief as something merely intellectual. Uh, In fact, uh, I just recently read a definition of it assenting to something. So we we say something like, uh, George Washington was the first president of the United States. Do you believe that? Sure, I believe that. You know, like I assent to that. I'm okay with that. That's categorically different from biblical faith, which includes that, but is much more than that. So believing in George Washington doesn't require anything of me. It makes no difference whether or not I believe in George Washington, whether or not I believe he was the first president. But if I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it means something. So some of the application of that or some of the, uh, the way that works out in the New Testament is if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who will you serve as Lord? Jesus Christ. And if you serve another master as Lord, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, apparently not. You may believe in Jesus. You may believe he was a real person. You may believe he died. You might even believe he rose from the dead, all of which the demons also believe. The issue is, do you believe it and love it? Do you believe it and embrace it? And so that type of faith, the embracing type of faith, results in a change in the way that we live. Um, and, and in this verse, what he is saying is, the change it produces is that the faith works itself out through love, not through works or not through um, the law, but through love. So let me connect those two things. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what does it mean? It means that We, while we were dead in our sins, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins, while we deserved God's wrath, 
while we were separated from God and alienated from him, while we were uh, children of wrath and disobedient like the rest of mankind, God in his mercy sent his son to pay the, the curse for our sin. Now, if, if we sit there passively and say, yeah, I accept that, something's radically wrong. Like there's not an embracing of that. Because that sort of love requires a response. It requires some sort of a reaction on our part. Um, so uh, I'll keep fleshing that out. So he sends his son to die for us, to pay the price for our sins. When he does that, he saves us from his own wrath. He spares us from eternal hell, damnation, which we deserved. And when he does that, he brings us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. He makes us an adopted child of God. He puts us into the Lord Jesus Christ so that we're now one with him. When he does that, what kind of result is that going to produce? What will be the response? Well, as I hear all of that stuff, the first thing that comes to my mind is something like, thank you, praise God, that's amazing. And that sort of attitude then is, is what Paul is referring to by love. So I have now a love for God because of his mercy towards us, because of his kindness towards us. And because of how great he is, because of how uh, loving he has been, what then do I do? Try to earn his favor and be good enough for him by obeying the law and doing good works? <laughs> no, like that's, there's no way. The reception of the gift is a love, a, a gratitude for what he has done that then produces fruit in our lives. Let me answer the question more directly just by pointing you down to verse uh, 16 and following. So Galatians 5:16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he explains, he gives a, uh, examples of the works of the flesh. And then verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what does faith working through love look like? I think that's probably the best answer is the fruit of the Spirit. As the Spirit works in our lives, what does He produce in us? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And there's no law against such things. So it, even, we're not under the law. It, the new law is not you must be joyful. You must be loving. You must be gentle. That's not the new law. We're out from under the law. Now, what does the Spirit produce in us? These sorts of things. That help a little? You want to ask a follow-up? You're going to... What if uh, you struggle with the love part? So if, if you're struggling to feel that within yourself, should that be a reason to question 
the spirit living in you? Well, uh, yes and no. Um, I would not say a, a, a point in time when you lack that feeling is not reason for you to say, do I even know the Lord? We go through ups and downs. We go through periods of, of life where the, our feelings ebb and flow. Because of that, the, the feeling is not primary. Okay? It's, it matters. The feeling matters. If all we ever have is a feeling of animosity towards God, yes, something's wrong. Um, but when you're tired, well, let, let me give you, go, go to an illustration that might be more con concrete. You're, there are some days, like your wedding day, when you are enthralled with your wife, and there's just a glow coming from her, and this is wonderful, and you can't stop thinking about her. And that feet, what? Hey, Greg, you stop that. Okay, let me redirect. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and, and there are days when you are with the same woman, she's done the same, she's done you no wrong, but perhaps you had a really long day at work, perhaps you're exhausted, perhaps you haven't eaten in eight hours, and you're not feeling this glow coming from, like you're, you're just, you're not feeling anything. That doesn't mean that you've ceased to love her. It doesn't mean that she doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't mean that you've left her. It means that uh, you, you are a weak individual, and all of us are weak individuals that go through cycles of you know, feeling. Um, so the, the feeling of love, of joy in Christ and in what he has done, it really matters. It should be present in our life. If it's never present, yeah, that's a concern. But periods of time where it's higher or lower don't, don't rule your life by those ebbs and flows. Um, you'll, you'll drive yourself crazy. Well, if we totally depend on, upon ourselves to, to work up this love within ourselves for others, it's, that in itself is a sense of works that we're trying to cause ourselves to love others. So it, it should come from the Spirit. It should be something that wells up within us outside of ourselves. Correct? Inside of yourself, but yeah, outside yeah. of your own good works Doing, or yes. Yeah. Um, okay, so hold on. When we say works of the law or, or, or works, what we're saying is I'm justified by these works. These works make me righteous. And if you say that about feeling love or feeling joy, then you're right. Like it, but I've never heard someone say, the reason I'm justified is because I mustered up enough love for God that he... Forgave me. Like there, I've never heard someone say that. But we could pursue that as if it were a work. Like, I feel unworthy because I haven't loved God enough. That's completely mixed up. Why did God love us? Because we were worthy? No, he loved us while we were his enemies, right? So if God's loved us while he was enemies, what's the basis of his love for us? not our good works, not our love for him, because he loved us when we hated him and were at war with him. Is anyone back there? I'm just getting all kinds of uh, feedback. Nobody's back there. Okay. Oh, I, this is hot. Every time I'm getting an echo every time 
Does it not sound weird to you guys? Oh, then forget it. Yeah. You think you're getting it? Okay. So no, we do not pursue the love of, of Christ. We do not pursue the love of one another as a means of getting God's favor and being justified. God's justified us. He's made us righteous. And out of, out of that flows um, the love and the fruit of the Spirit. I, I still, I'm not sure that I answered your question, but okay. I never feel like I answer someone's question unless they say, thank you, that answers my question. Uh. Next. <laughs> He's just staring at you like, I know you're going to ask a question. <laughs> So I agree with you, Pastor. I think the days we live in, um, we're very much blasted with your emotions. Everything is emotive. Um, we even answer text with, texts with emotions. I think a lot of the bigger churches, you've got emotion. Everything is you either feeling um, offended, you know, all, all this stuff going on. And I think... It's good for us to withdraw from that because if we look at true love is what Christ did on the cross, right? That was not an emotion, really. Mm -hmm. and, and if we feel we do not love people enough, sinners enough, um, I've often struggled with that. And the way I, I think about that is, you know, if you think of Kim Jong-un, if you think of people that are really evil, you know, women celebrating their abortions. There's just so much stuff going on that's just so disgusting. And I think of those people in more eternal eternity, what their end is going to be if they do not repent, and how awful that is. You would not wish hell on these people, even though they are disgusting and evil. Just the end, how terrible that is going to be, and just pray for them. You know, um, mm -hmm. we really need to pray for them. If you think of the woman who's um, uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, Denise, what's her last name? Richards. I mean, we need to pray for her because if you think of her end, mm -hmm. how terrible that is. Just pray for her. And I mean, love is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. and God will give us love for these people. We can, I think we can ask him for that. And I think when you can pray for somebody that already shows some action you know, on your part. Yeah, you, um, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, Christ, Christ said. So how do we love our enemies? Is Paul loving his enemies in this verse, in this section? And I think the answer is yes, he is praying for them by showing them the severity of their error and his goal is not to be friends with everyone. That's the problem. We think love your enemies means you need to be friends with everyone and everyone needs to like you. <laughs> oh boy, no. No, no. I mean, look at Christ himself. He had enemies that hated him so much they wanted him dead. And eventually they, they accomplished it. 
with God's uh, preordained plan. But uh, he says in verse 7, who hindered you from obeying the truth? When we are loving these people who are, are evil, our desire is to see them come to an obedience of the truth, that they would learn what the truth is and so be saved from their sins. That's our desire. Uh, we're not God. We're not the one who makes the final verdict. We're, we're not the one who determines when they will die, if they will have a chance to repent. And so our job is to love them, but that loving does not mean we ignore the truth. It actually means that we force them to, as far as we can, deal with the truth so that they might uh, see the errors of their ways. Yeah. There's lots of other verses that deal with that, but... If Kim, if Kim Jong-un were here, um, there might be an initial animosity. Like, we probably wouldn't be, oh, it's so good to see you. <clears throat> no? Anyone? Dennis Rodman. But honestly, if you just hypothetically ran into one of these people, sat down next to them in coffee shop or something, if all you felt was, ugh, and left, like, no, because what did Christ do? I never, I never connected this back to Luke 15, but that's the connection. What did the Pharisees think about the sinners and tax collectors? They're unworthy. Get them out of here. We're worthy. We're worthy. And Christ's answer is, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 persons who are righteous and need no repentance. So I think that's, uh, that's the answer is I'm not so righteous that I don't need to repent and this person needs to repent and I, there will be rejoicing in heaven if Kim Jong-un repents. I can pray for his repentance. I don't pray that God would bless him and give him a wonderful life now and all of that stuff. I pray that God would bring him to his senses, show him the truth, help, help him to turn from his sin and be saved. That's, that's the prayer. Okay, other questions? just shushed the chairman Sorry of our other Sorry about that. <laughs> it happens weekly. <laughs> I think these kind of discussions always uh, just reminds me how, you know, sometimes we think that we're the only one that thinks, you know, or struggles with what, what should be by now, if, if you've been a believer very long, pretty simple questions of am I, you know, am I a believer? Am I, you know... It, Am I secure? And, and you know the truth of what the word says. Yes, I'm secure, but you don't feel that way sometimes. And then you, you know, you look at the rest of what the word says. And well, am I really a believer? And you know, it, it's just a reminder that it, it's a constant struggle. I think, and, and a constant um, uh, reminder to examine our lives and to see where are we? What what are we thinking? What are we doing? Are we are we doing what we should be doing? Are we um, or where we need to be? And it's, it's uh, you know, you, you sometimes think you're the only one that has those thoughts. No. 
No, actually, I, let me connect that back to Kevin's original question that I think one of the reasons we get into low periods of time, unordinarily low periods of time in our lives, it, it's often because we've, we remove ourselves from the Lord. So when we sin, what's our tendency, Adam and Eve, what's our tendency when we've sinned? To hide from God. When we hide from God in our hiding, what do we tend to do more of? sin and then oh now we're even worse than we were yesterday and if we hit yesterday because i'm really going to hide this time right and so we tend to go downhill quickly and the answer to that is returning to the lord and i think uh, maybe this is just more practical than uh tr you know i'm not sure it's an absolute but i think we can return to the lord by turning back to his word so even as we read the book of Galatians, you know what comes to my mind is, oh, so I'm not the only idiot who thought, <laughs> because I see they're dealing with the very thing I'm dealing with. And you read the book of Corinthians and you realize, okay, so we don't have to, you know, get rid of everyone who has a crazy church. Like, they had one, and it was in the New Testament, and Paul wrote to them, and, and we can learn from there and grow. Uh, also, we see people like David, and, and throughout the Psalms, we see like the, and this is one of the reasons Jeremy loves coming back to the Psalms, and even some of the uh, Sons of Korah songs that he'll do for special music, they're often th these sorts of struggling, wrestling, uh, why is this going on, but we hear the biblical answer to it. We don't give in to the despair and say, yeah, who knows? But we could turn to the word and we find the answer that the Lord himself provides. And that kind of pulls us back up and, and even causes us to feel again like, yeah, that's right. The Lord is good. He is on his throne. He, he only does right. God does. He is a father who only gives good gifts. That yep. means somehow this difficulty in my life is a good gift. Praise God for that. Um, so yeah, you're I, I I think that just in the end it's a it's a comfort to us because I think that's one of the lies that that is put out there and, and that Satan uses is obviously for all of us, well, you're not good enough. You you know, look, look, you failed. And you see that all through scripture. Um and you know, God can't use you anymore. God you you know, you're done. And uh you know, and then you, you see where men throughout scripture have struggled with this mightily and uh that's an encouragement to drive us back to the word and and uh know that it's not our works that that are going to save us the line we sang this well no wait did we sing it i don't think we did we sing it i don't think we sang it this morning when satan sure tells me uh when For satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within upward i look and see him there Who made, yes, we see him there who made an end of all my sin. So that's absolutely right. Satan tempts us to despair, like, I'm a sinner. And then remind yourself, you're a sinner, and there's more joy over one sinner who repents in heaven than over 99. Yes, like, God will take you back. God will forgive. God will rejoice over your returning to him. God will not look down at you and say, I can't believe that you did that.
not when you're coming to him to admit you did that. Other questions? <clears throat> uh oh. I'm glad Jeremy's not here. He would ask me all the hard Galatians theological questions. What you just said was interesting to me. I never thought about um, that verse that you just said about God, re God rejoices over one sinner that repents. I, never, I always have thought about that as the salvation, salvation repenting, not an ongoing thing that whenever we sin, it... Yes. It applies to us then too. Yeah, no, th so think, think about it in, in our own Christian lives. If there's 99 righteous Christians with all their ducks in a row, that doesn't exist, does it? But if there's 99 Christians who think they've got everything lined up and they're righteous and they don't repent and there's one sinner off here lost who repents, how's God going to feel about it? So it's, I think it's true of both our salvation, and that probably it's most particularly focused on that initial salvation, but it also has to be true of our ongoing salvation, uh, that is sanctification. Our on, God is continually making us more like his son. I was thinking maybe you could touch on um, the difference that you brought up this morning about how Paul addresses the church in Galatia as opposed to some of the other churches you reference the church in Colossi or sorry Corinthians um, in Rome. But if you could talk about when it's appropriate to have that kind of tone, like you know, jump into a conversation and instead of saying I thank the Lord for you know what He's doing in your lives and et cetera, to saying Hey, here's an issue that you that needs to be addressed. Yeah. So if you, if you look at chapter 1, he does start with his customary greeting, uh, Paul, an apostle, and then he, he goes on to the churches of Galatia, and then he has a grace to you and peace, something like, uh, what do you call it, like a salutation. Normally, he starts his letters with a thank you. That's what he leaves off. I've, I give thanks to my God on all, every time I remember you, etc. So he leaves that out here. He does not throw everything out. He, he still has the grace to you and peace. But look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, and this is the only time he says this, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And the reason that he adds that in, as you read through the rest of the book, is because that was being attacked. He was called an apostle of men. He was called a person who just learned from other apostles, but he's a second-rate apostle. And so from the beginning, he's dealing with it. Um, I'm not sure that Galatians itself gives us a clear answer of, okay, how should we in our own lives choose our tone? When is a, a firm or maybe even what some would call harsh tone when is that appropriate uh, I'm not sure that he gives us you know instructions on that it's more just of, a, of an example but you read through some of his language he is uh, I believe he starts let him be accursed if anyone preaches to you another let him be accursed I wish that they would emasculate themselves um, and then he has further further ones in uh, 6, 11, and 12, <clears throat> it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. 
and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. So he, he clearly, strongly rebukes them. Um, but I think the, the fundamental difference in Galatians is the sin they're dealing with is going to determine whether or not they are Christians. What the Corinthians were dealing with mattered a lot, but they're Christian struggles, if you will. They're struggles Christians can have, churches can have. If the Galatians lose this struggle, they're not a church at all. In, in that sense. And so I think that uh, is, is what motivates him to be so firm, so serious throughout the book. And then in, in chapter 5, he kind of, th- this is what I'm trying to think through. He's like, he's firm with them, but even then he still has confidence that the Lord, or in the Lord, that they will take no other view. Yep. I don't know if that's like by and large or or how what he means by that, but even in this kind of harsh tone, harsh-ish tone that he's having with them, he still says, I have confidence yeah. in the Lord that you'll take no other view. Yeah. Okay, so yes, that's, that's a good point. And actually, I think we discussed that in Sunday school a little bit. Uh, but so he, uh, what verse is that? 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. Um, and then he... Well, there's a few other spots where he encourages them. Now, what I think is going on, and the reason he starts out of the gate so harsh, is before he starts to encourage the Galatians who are struggling and they're confused and he's going to correct them, he has to separate them from the false teachers. So once, as as the chapters go on, once he's separated, there's them and there's you. There's those who are seeking justification by works, and there's you. Now he's separated them. He can look and talk to them more directly, well, you more directly, and encourage them. I'm confident that once you hear this, you're not going to buy their persuasion. You're not going to be persuaded by them. You're going to obey the truth. But I think he first wants to separate. Look, if you, if you stand with them, you're going to fall. And so once he does that, then he can kind of bring in some encouragement and I, I love you, I'm confident about you and, and that type of stuff. Okay, a uh, couple more questions. All right, I think we're allowed to release you a little early. Don't run down and get your kids though, give the Sunday school teachers time, right? Isn't that right? Okay, let me pray, and then I'll, I'll release you. And you're welcome to ask other questions after. Lord, thank you so much for your word and for the reminder that even as we are made to be more like Christ, it is not our proximity and likeness to him that saves us, but it is him who saves us. And I pray that you would help us to seek to become more like him, not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. Send your spirit into our hearts that through the spirit we might have a faith that works through love. Help us in his power to to follow after Christ. And we're thankful to you for him and his work in our lives. 
And we thank thankful for, for Christ and what he has done on our behalf. We ask that you would help us to live this out with one another, to love one another, <clears throat> and thus fulfill the law. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.